Welcome to Sexology, a podcast that untangles the science of sex and pleasure. And now, with this week's episode, your host, clinical psychologist, Dr. Nazanin Moali. Hello there. Thank you so much for tuning in to another episode of Sexology Podcast. I'm your host, Dr. Nazanin Moali. I wanted to start this show with remind you guys that we are a few weeks into our anniversary month. Happy anniversary to us, to me and all of you guys who supported us all throughout past three years. And I wanted to remind you if you want to win cool gift cards, sex toys, very informative books. These are the books that I love and I, I recommend to clients. Definitely check out my Instagram account at Oasis to Care, where I do a weekly giveaway. So I want to make sure I'm showering all of you guys with love and attention to say how grateful I am to have you on this show. I am very excited about our interview today. I feel I <laughs> I say this every single week, but I genuinely choose the topic that I'm very interested in. So today we're going to talk about virtual reality porn. I didn't know even there's this genre of porn exists until I got into sex therapy and I attended a what ASAC conference a few years ago. And now I found it's just this fantastic different experience around consuming porn. And it's my pleasure to invite and have adult virtual reality star Ella Darling on our show today. I did this survey on my Instagram account. I wanted to know what you guys wanted to know about VR porn. And many of you guys didn't even know what VR is. We're going to talk about uh, what's virtual reality porn. We're going to talk about how Ella got interested in this field. She tells us how she uses it as helping people with explore and enhance their sexual health. We talk about if she sees it as a healthy way of consuming porn and indulging in our sexual pleasure. As I mentioned, our guest is Ella Darling. Ella is a former librarian who has since become the leading voice in the intersection of virtual reality and the adult industry. As the world's first VR cam girl, Darling is a pioneer in the field of virtual reality pornography, having worked with a variety of elite adult companies on both sides of the camera. After a decade as an adult film performer, she is now the director of marketing for Vero Club, a private, inclusive, judgment-free adult VR play space. Without further ado, here's my conversation with Ella Darling. Hello and welcome to another episode of Sexology Podcast. I am so excited and honored to have Ella Darling in our show. Ella, welcome to our show. Thank you very much. I am so thrilled to have you on this show because I I didn't even know that VR porn exists until a couple of years ago. I went to the sex therapy conference and there was someone who was talking about it and I thought it was fascinating. But before we go more into the topic, as I was reading your bio, I noticed that we had a shared profession. I used to be a librarian too. <laughs> oh, wow. that's awesome. I loved it. It was so much fun. It was I've done different jobs. And 
thousand different points of my life. And that was one of my kind of interesting and more exciting jobs that I had. So it's interesting that you had that job. How, how many years were you a librarian? I was only a librarian for one year, and that's when I decided to move to Los Angeles and pursue adult film. But I loved, I love library science. I love librarians. I loved, I was a reference librarian and um, the associate director of a small library. So I got to kind of do a lot of different things. And it was just, it's so wonderful. It's such a great profession. And it's so cool to meet someone else who's done it. (laughs) And it's such an interesting shift. So please tell us, how did you make that shift from being a librarian to start working at the adult movie industry? Well, I had been modeling since I was 18 years old. And I, um, I graduated early twice. So I, I got my master's degree when I was 21. And I moved into, you know, being a librarian at that point. But, you know, having, you know, getting a master's degree in one year, getting a bachelor's degree in three years, I was constantly, constantly, constantly busy, you know, lots of school hours working, just my day was filled. So when I became, you know, full-time librarian compared to all of the other stuff I had to do before, I felt like I just had all this free time to explore new things. And I saw a listing on Craigslist for, it was basically a fetish shoot. It was hardcore bondage, but it wasn't nude. It felt like kind of a safe step in sort of that direction. And I also had pretty negative ideas about the adult film industry, things that realistically, I, I figured don't really mesh with the reality of people's lives. Like if, if it's a terrible industry and everybody's miserable and they're all victims, then why do they all seem so happy? So, <laughs> so I decided to challenge my, my expectations and challenge myself and, you know, try this shoot. And I thought I'd be so uncomfortable. I thought I'd, you know, I'd go, I'd do it, I'd leave and I'd confirm all the things that I, I thought I knew. And it was nothing like I expected it. You know, the, the producer was incredibly kind, very respectful, walked me through all all of the safety procedures, all of the privacy procedures, all of my personal boundaries, everything to, you know, to indicate if at some point I'm uncomfortable, we can stop. If I am too uncomfortable to, you know, finish the shoot, that's fine. We can absolutely call it a day. Like he just looked out for me so much and I I felt so respected and so, so cared for. And the more shoots like that I did, the, the more I enjoyed it. And, you know, being a librarian is a very important job, but the, the rate that, librarians make is not really (laughs) on par with that and you know I was making more in an hour than I would make in a whole day I just decided eventually like you know if I want to do this if I if this is something that I really enjoy then I should probably do it now and I should probably do it in the place where this industry lives which is you know mostly Los Angeles so after one year at the library I moved to Los Angeles and I got married and started working in adult film. And one of those things was a really excellent choice. And one of them took a lot of legal work to undo. (laughs) What an interesting twist. And I agree with you that it's about some of the people that they work in industry. They're just so, such a good people. One of my, it's a tangent, but one of my sex therapist friends said, which I love and I respect her and she's my mentor. She had this wonderful shoot, like a lot of beautiful pictures. And I asked her, oh, how did you get these pictures? And she introduced me to this photographer who does fetish photos. And oh, took cool. photos for me and the guy was so kind and sweet and incredible so it seems like you had such a positive interaction during that shoot and I'm kind of so interested that how then did you transition to webcamming well when you're working in adult film you you don't necessarily get to make your own schedule you know 
your agent, if you have one, kind of will tell you, hey, you're booked on this day. Do you want to do it or not? If you represent yourself, which I did for a very long time, you just reach out and hope somebody will hire you. But, you know, you're only working as many days a month as somebody is willing to, to shoot you. So in order to, you know, fill the rest of your time, you need to find other things to do. Also, the rates that adult film performers are paid per scene have really decreased over the past 10 years or so. And the number of shoot opportunities you have have decreased also. So it's sort of just by necessity, you need to be industrious and you need to find other ways to, to do work, to make money, to, to make rent even. So camming is a really natural choice because it's in the same vein. You can make your own hours. The, the more you scale up your fan base, the, the better you'll do. And, um, and yeah, so that was just something that I started doing between shoots and, um, I had a pretty good time with it. Actually, the first, my first foray into camming was a little bit disastrous, but the next attempt I made was just working in a studio and I met some really great people and, and it was just a great time. So that was my first step into camming. And then eventually I met someone who would eventually become my business partner. And I'm kind of, I'm, I think I'm jumping ahead a little bit, but eventually that experience led to developing the first virtual reality live cam platform and being the first VR cam girl. I love that, that you have this entrepreneurial spirit and you're very driven and it seems like what you want, you go for it and you make it happen. And it seems like this has been a very successful career for you. So (laughs) when I posted it, when I do the interviews, I posted on Instagram, the questions that people have, and I posted uh, what questions do you have about VR porn? And I got 20 responses. I don't know what's even, what is that? (laughs) (laughs) Wow. So please tell us what is VR port? Okay. So first let's, let's understand what virtual reality is. Virtual reality refers to a medium that is accessed through a virtual reality headset. It's something that has two, two screens, you know, two lenses that are very close to your eyes and, you know, really high quality audio typically and controllers that represent your hands in this space because when you have the headset on all you see is what's being projected to you from this headset as opposed to you know watching or engaging with media on a traditional screen you know it's it's in a box your your computer screen is framed by you know the edges of your screen your phone is the same way a tv the same way so what virtual reality does is it takes that 2D medium and it turns it into a 3D immersive space. Typically it's 360 degrees, frequently it's only 180 degrees if you're watching video, but that's what VR is. It's, it's a transportative experience that takes you someplace else. So VR porn is pornography presented in that medium. It's, it's something that makes you feel present. It makes you feel you know, an intimate connection with what you're watching. It makes you feel like you're actually in the room with what you're seeing. So VR porn is a much more immersive, transportative way of consuming pornography. And with it, there are new tools as a producer that you can learn to utilize to create you know, incredibly engaging experiences. There are also <laughs> tools that you might be used to if you come from a traditional film world that just don't translate into VR. For example, when I first started making VR porn, I made the most unjerkoffable VR porn scene because, <laughs> because I wasn't adapting my approach and I was trying to approach it from, you know, from a traditional 
perspective where I'm just going to set the camera up and me and my friend are going to do this really sexy scene over here. And it was just alienating. It was uncomfortable because I was trying to approach it in a way that, you know, really works for a 2D screen. But what I should have been doing, what I learned to do was to bring the camera in as part of the experience, as, as another person to address the camera, to make eye contact with the camera. Another thing that I've learned personally in, in adult VR content is that you can craft an incredible experience just through the intimacy of eye contact, of, you know, gentle audio, of speaking intimately to the camera. And, you know, a scene that's just a female performer talking to the camera in a very loving, romantic way can have a much more, you know, viscerally engaging reaction than, you know, some Caligulan fuckfest orgy. And, and I think that that sort of extreme content has become very common, not necessarily orgies, but, you know, really hardcore performances have become really common in, in 2D porn. And you do see it as well in VR porn, but, but with VR, because it's so intimate, because you feel the sense of presence, you know, a soft, more like girlfriend experience style approach can really just engage the senses in a way that doesn't really translate, you know, in 2D. That is so fascinating and fantastic that it seems like even as, as far as like producing it, it lends itself this environment to another form of content compared to what people are watching on their computers or on their smartphones. One version of this that I've seen is people are kind of have the headpiece on their eyes and there's a clicker like for when you are kind of like doing a webcamming of someone and there is a dildo attached to it. Is that also part of the common part of your experience? Tell us more about that. Right. So now I, I think what you're referring to is, is teledildonics and that also gets into haptics. So this is pretty common. The company that I work for right now is called Vero Club. And I've learned there are so many teledildonic and haptic devices that the people are using. There's, I mean, our, our app supports 45 of them. I didn't know that there were 45. There are devices for people with vulvas and vaginas. There are devices for people with penises. There are devices that, that are reciprocal. So a person can have you know, a stroker device on their penis while a person can use a dildo style device in their vagina and the things that are happening with the vagina will be reciprocated on the stroker device and, and so on and so forth. And if you're not using it with a partner in that way, one way to, to engage with it, whether it's you know video or, or CGI content is adding basically some metadata to the file that tells your teledildonic device what to do, like when to move so that it's synced with the movements on the screen or on your headset. So for example, if you're watching somebody you know, have sex from a first person perspective where when you look down, you feel like you're in someone else's body having sex with somebody else, the thrusting movements will be you know, reciprocated in that stroking device. So you have this this new sensory experience in addition to the audio and the visual. Oh my gosh, that sounds so advanced and interesting. And it, it makes me wonder who are the, based on your experience, who are the VR porn users? Because it, it's not as mainstream yet, at least based on kind of listeners that we have, the clients I see. I certainly had clients that they actually been a part of producing the kind of the technology, but the day to day, most people are watching it, watching porn online or under kind of computer in a 2D version. Tell us a little bit about the demographic of the people that you notice that you're using these devices. So VR porn consumers are typically male, typically, you know, I would say 
middle to upper middle class, you know, someone who can not only afford, I mean, it's a pricey headset, but also the computer setup to run it. Now, there are certainly, you know, standalone devices that just run on their own. But the majority of like, of people who are really interested and engaged with virtual reality will have a PC headset, like an Oculus Rift or a Vive or an, an Index. Those are three different kinds of headsets. And they require pretty pretty powerful computer and that can get pretty pricey also. So you're looking at a demographic that's mostly male, mostly, you know, they have a generous amount of disposable income to some degree, or they're just very enthusiastic about the technology and they've saved and saved and saved for it because they're excited about it. The I've read online and I, I haven't vetted this, but I believe that in general, virtual reality is maybe like 60% male, 40% female, if we're speaking strictly in a gender binary. And um, that sort of translates as well into virtual reality. So it, it is predominantly male. I'd love to see more female audience audiences. And I'm seeing more content that, you know, really, really speaks to those audiences. My, my friend Anna Lee is, in my opinion, the best VR porn director. And she and I worked together to produce a series earlier this year. And one of the, the only directions we gave the performers was use gender neutral pronouns so that it has an appeal to anybody, no matter what their, you know, their gender identity is. And so that's something that I think as we start to create more content that is you know, aimed at, at sort of any gender, we'll see more adoption. I love that. I love it in several several aspects of it. I think I love that there's a, direct, a female director directing it with you. I think that's very powerful shift compared to historically what we see is like mostly men directing adult movies. Definitely in past decades, there has been a movement that there are more female doing it. But I love that it's like you guys are contributing to content. Mm-hmm. And as far as I never, I've seen the headsets, I never had the opportunity to look at the VR porn. So I'm kind of curious about the content. I wonder, as like you're attractive female, so I understand that uh, many people are heterosexual male or you know, women who identify as uh, homosexual would be interested in watching porn. And I know many women who are straight also watch gay porn, so there's nothing wrong with that. But I wonder what would be the, what is the quality of the male content in this VR? Is it is it kind of lots of content that's kind of tailored for uh, female who are interested in heterosexual kind of like a fantasy world? So just to clarify, do you mean what does the, does the content breakdown look like for content yeah. that is... Well, with VR porn, okay, let me step back. There has been this long-standing idea of like porn for women, which I think is nonsense. Women like good (laughs) porn. They like authenticity. They like hardcore. They like fetish. They like fisting. They like soft stuff. They like softcore. They like just everything that we think of as something that is strictly, you know, porn for men. It's not porn for men. Women like that kind of content too. The difference that I see is that women like some sense of authenticity and reality. So if I'm watching a porn scene and this girl is moaning like she's having a hardcore orgasm and I can see that that guy is nowhere near her clit, that takes me out of it because now I'm just like, wow, you are really faking it, girl. I hope that you get done with this and get to go to your shopping very soon. So that's sort of the traditional porn. I do think that things sort of change a little bit when it comes to VR, though, because so much porn has, you know, this body, this this first person body that when you look down, the camera has been mounted on a performer and that performer, if they're someone with a penis and you don't have a penis, 
that can kind of take you out of it a little bit, which is why all of the content that I've made, I just don't bother having that first person, you know, that body involved because I don't think it's entirely necessary. And I think you can create great content that has, you know, mass appeal without that. That's interesting. And I think the other piece of it, when it comes at least based on what I hear from my clients, is that my male clients, at times like a very broad generalization, they kind of like they're, when even they're, they're looking at a porn, like a two dimension porn, they look at like cum shots, like kind of like the end of kind of the, well, how things, how things trusting and all of that. And many of my female clients, Telling me they're interested in the plot. That's something else that I noticed, but maybe that's perhaps is connected to the authenticity piece. Yeah, you know, I think so. I think that having some kind of plot can be more appealing, especially, I'm, I'm going to speak in a way that is broad, but it's really sort of just a reflection of my personal experience, I suppose. There's so much more complexity around sexuality and sex for women, especially, you know, in, in this day and age where sex is something that is, if, if it's out of context, if you're just watching some girl get railed, you don't have the, the context of like the consent or the discussion or the buildup that led to this being a positive experience for that person. And I think that for a lot of women, having that context in the form of a plot allows them to engage with it in a way that, that feels, you know, enjoyable, that they can sort of release themselves and let go and just, you know, engage with the scene in a way that I don't think men typically necessarily need because sex for men isn't tinged with the same amount of, of violence and, and boundary violation that it very frequently can be for women. And again, certainly that can be the, the case for some men and it's not always the case for women. But I do think that when it comes to you know plot and plot being important for women to enjoy porn, I think it's not necessarily that they want a story. I think they want context to understand that this is a positive experience that I'm watching. Does that make sense? It does. And I never thought about it in that way, because I think uh, when from Emily Nagoski talks about in her book on dual model of desire and arousal, and I think one thing that she talks about is interesting is in order for many women to feel, kind of experience the kind of desire and arousal is we got to have to kind of take care of the bricks and accelerators. So many of the bricks that many women have as they get kind of concern about the person's safety and like lots of stuff and the context. So absolutely what you're saying, it makes sense. And I'm reflecting on my own kind of use of erotic material. I like after like I've watched porn, but now I'm leaning more toward audio content. And now Mm -hmm. I'm reflecting back on that. It's because there's a story and perhaps I don't need to be worried about that. Does the actress getting paid fair? (laughs) Does she, is she comfortable? Is how, like I, I constantly get distracted with this information when I looked at the kind of visual content. So maybe that's kind of speaks to what you're talking about, but it's, I think the technology is mind blowing in this area. And it, I bet it's, it's impact how we are defining sex. Tell us how you see this technology is expanding our idea of what sex is. Virtual reality in particular or technology in general? Virtual reality. Well, one of the, one of the discussions that I've seen come up a lot with VR when I, when I speak about it and have spoken extensively about VR porn over the past several years, one of the first questions that people ask is, well, what is this going to do to relationships? Is this cheating? And I love that question because I don't know. 
I can only tell you if it's cheating in the context of my own personal relationship because my partner and I have discussions and discuss boundaries and communicate with each other about, you know, what's okay and what's not. You know, for some people, watching porn is is a violation of, of their relationship. For some people, going to a strip club is. For some people, you can go out and have sex with, you know, my friend if we discuss it first and that's not cheating because we talked about it. You know, the, the definitions and boundaries of relationships, there's no single approach. And one of the things that I really like about this is that it, it prompts discussion about what your boundaries are in a relationship and it encourages people to communicate these kind of things with their partner in a way that should have happened already, should have been happening, you know, for a very long time now. But because this sort of pushes the realism just a little bit further, it, you know, it prompts discussions like that. And I think that's great. Another thing that I, I see with this technology is people who have no access to sexual romantic experiences for for whatever the reason may maybe maybe uh, they work a lot and they just don't have a chance to connect socially with people or they have a disability or they just don't feel comfortable socially engaging with other people this allows them an experience that feels very real and puts them into a situation where they feel like they're having an intimate sexual experience with somebody I've seen there was a comment that I saw from a man who his wife died you know, 10, 15 years ago, and he's not interested in pursuing romance with anybody else because he's still, you know, very attached to her and, and the, you know, the vow he made to her when they got married. And this has given him something that feels authentic, feels good, feels intimate, but doesn't feel like he's, you know, dishonoring the memory of his wife. Same thing with, with people who are, they're just housebound because they, they don't have the physical ability to, to even, you know, go out and get groceries and much less, you know, engage romantically with people. So this has given them access to experiences that, you know, that they previously saw as being off the table for them. And another thing is there are, there are so many different ways to engage sexually. There are so many different kinks and fetishes, you know, styles of sex that if you are interested in it, but you don't have a safe person that you can go to to, to explore this aspect of yourself, VR can give you that sense of being in a space and, and trying that thing. If you're interested in bondage, but you don't want to just dive into it with your partner because neither of you really are aware of like the safety techniques, you can experience something similar to that in VR. If you're you know, questioning your, your own sexuality, you can engage in, in an experience like that with VR porn in a way that you certainly could watch the porn just on your computer, but, but something about the immersion of VR allows people that sense to sort of explore themselves and, and explore their desires in a new way. Well, it seems like it certainly has many positive benefits. I agree with you that on the talk I initially heard about VR was one of my colleagues that I really respect, and he was talking about the importance of fertility agreement and couples talking about this thing. So I think you're right, VR or no VR, it's this is an important conversation for couples to have that what would be, be kind of cheating and what wouldn't be cheating. It could be with anything, just regular webcamming, watching porn. To the second point that you mentioned about providing this opportunity for people to have sexual experiences, but otherwise they're not able to do it. For example, for people who have able body and they have the opportunities. One of the concerns that I hear from many of friends, colleagues, is that 
this is, for example, if for any reason I have struggles with finding a partner or it's just I don't have time, this immersion can be so so alluring that I might not even invest on a kind of building and cultivating friendship and relationship or intimate relationship outside this realm. And that can be isolating for people. What's your thoughts on that? Well, I think that's a very valid concern, but I, I don't think it's going to replace all relationships. I think it can be a great supplement, but when you're watching an adult experience, even if it's a transactional experience where you're, you know, literally live interacting with a camp performer, there's no real risk and there's no real challenge. And part of, I think, the the thrill and value of a relationship is taking those risks and taking chances on on someone. And, and the dopamine hit when you say something funny and, and the partner that you're interested in laughs or, you know, asking for someone's number and not being sure if they're going to say yes or no. And they say yes and you, you did it. And that's, that's awesome. You don't really get that from, you know, a, a pre-recorded experience where it's all planned out. You don't get that from, you know, a cam performer so much. I mean, some, in some cases I've seen cam performers who really bond with the people that, you know, they're, they're engaging with, but the transactional aspect of it creates sort of a, an invisible boundary that keeps both parties safe emotionally. And it also, I think sort of prohibits it from entirely replacing you know, a romantic, a romantic partnership. It can be an excellent supplement, like I was saying, for, for people who just don't have access to that. But I don't think it's going to replace that altogether. And on the other hand, if, if it does, like if for some people, it might. Some people are going to see this and feel that this checks all the boxes I need and I don't want to go out and have sex with, with another person in the world. I don't want to go out and find a girlfriend or a boyfriend. And I think that's fine too. I don't think anybody owes the world their, you know, efforts to, to partner up with someone or, or to have sex with somebody else. Nobody owns anybody else's sexuality. The way that you choose to, you know, engage sexually as long as it's consensual and, you know, with partners who are of, you know, legal age, that's nobody, that's nobody's business but your own. Well, I think that's definitely a very valid comment. And I feel like you're right that there is this expectation from society that what's healthy and what's unhealthy mm-hmm. and what's healthy, quote unquote, sexuality need to look like. But that's a valid point when you say like if people are feeling their needs are getting fulfilled and they are happy with the decisions that they're making and it's not harming anyone else, which it seems like in this case as it doesn't, then that, that can be a very good option for, for them and based on the values that they have. And I think the other part that can be the VR experience be helpful with addressing when there's an issues around sexual dysfunctions. Have you guys addressed that? Right. So there are a lot of ways that I think VR can can help in that way. That's a little bit broad. Why don't you kind of guide me towards like what, what you have in mind with sexual dysfunction? Absolutely. And I, can sort of spin. I think one of the, there are a few things that I can seek and I never use VR, but what I'm hearing from clients, there are different ways that it can be helpful. One is for sometimes when, pe- when people have negative sexual experiences, they just don't want to have sex with their partner anymore because they're scared of that vicious cycle. And I feel this can help them with having a corrective experience. I also wonder that at times in traditional sex therapy, we have strategies that we teach people 
who are struggling with premature ejaculation, things of that nature. And I think I can see a way that VR can help people with kind of using, incorporating those strategies. So I was just kind of curious, is that something that you guys have developed or this is something that like it's come from a mind of a sex therapist thinking about utility of this? I love that. I love, I love everything that you have in mind there. I have not personally experimented with tackling or addressing premature ejaculation, but it is certainly something that this sort of medium could be used for. Like you were saying, sometimes when you have a traumatic experience, it puts you off of, of sex or, or intimacy altogether. And this in particular, when I was doing the, the live VR camming was something that I think my clientele really, really engaged with because they have social anxiety around, you know, talking to a girl. They have sexual anxiety that they're not going to perform well. And because the stakes are not as high as if you have another person in the room with you and you can feel their disappointment and their concern and it creates a sort of feedback loop in your brain that just is not going to reverse the current situation with a headset, if you're engaging in a, a sexual experience in VR and you, you start to experience some sort of dysfunction, you can just take the headset off and exit the experience. When I was talking to people on cam, they would be talking to me, and in some cases, they would sort of hit that social anxiety wall, and they could just take their headset off, and they're out of the experience. Whereas if they went out you know, to a bar or something to talk to a girl, and that social anxiety started to hit, they would have to find a polite way to exit the conversation. Then they'd have to you know, get home, and that whole... like. Everything after the, the anxiety hits is another challenge and another challenge and another challenge. And when you're talking to somebody in real life in, in that sort of situation, not only are you handling your own anxiety and your own feelings, but it sort of cascades because now you know, there's another person who you, you, know, you want to be kind and polite to and you feel the need to explain yourself and, and it just sort of stacks. Whereas with, with VR, if, if you're somebody who experiences that, it's a great way to sort of take small steps, you know, sort of immersion therapy to, to start to overcome that. Before my partner and I made the, the CAM platform, which by the way, it's actually, we shut that down, we retired it and we moved on to do other things. But before we did that, the sort of, the, the thing that led into that was we made a game where we used what's called a time of flight depth camera. It basically just, I would set the capture space on three axes and the camera would capture everything in that space. So I set it up in my living room and I made a series of video clips where first I introduced myself and then I, I had sort of a conversation tree of like different topics, different potential responses, my reaction to those responses. So when you played it, it would sort of randomize like, what do you, like, I introduced myself, how do you want to respond? And you can click, you know, one of three options based on what you say, the conversation continues. But there was an invisible point system that the, the user was not aware of. And as you get to know me on this date in this cafe on a rainy day, as you build rapport with me, the, like you, you gain more points. So if we start off the conversation and you're immediately saying something, you know, very sexual, I leave because you haven't, like, you haven't established enough of a rapport to, to speak to me like that. But if you have a polite conversation and you start to build up you know, points by, by asking nice questions and responding politely, then you'll hit a threshold where you can say stuff that's a little bit more salacious and I'm not going to reject you. I'll, I'll you know, engage with you. Oh, I love that. It's all so it's, so training people to kind of like do how to do seduction. Sorry, I got uh, excited and interrupted you. Go ahead. Oh, no, I actually interrupted you. I'm sorry. But yeah, it's, exactly. It's like a behavioral learning platform in disguise. 
also, if you, it could kind of tell where your gaze was pointed. So if you're staring at my boobs, I would call you out on it. <laughs> that is amazing. And you shut that down. It seems like it could be a great resource for many people who struggle with kind of initiating conversation, initiating kind of like sexual romantic relationships. What happened that you guys shut it down? Well, the the production was very, very intense. And the, the quality of the technology we were using wasn't ideal. There are certainly better approaches now. I mean, this was back in 2014, 2015, I think. So it was just the quality wasn't high enough. And what we got from it was, this feels really cool because it feels like you're talking to a real person. So instead of, you know, building out multidimensional conversation options, why don't we just make it so you actually can talk to a real person? So that's what actually led to creating the live cam platform that we made. And it seems like this this technology, this realm of VR porn is evolving very quickly. So tell us, what do you see in the future of VR porn? Well, I think social spaces are going to be a really, really big part of it. The, the reason we did the live cam stuff was because it combined social VR with adult VR. It's just the threshold for, for making it something that was valuable to the performers hadn't quite hit yet. What I see being really, really great is, is social experiences, social engagement, where you can find like-minded people, you can you know, engage safely with them in a virtual space through teledildonic devices, and, and you can have that sort of that experience that allows you to safely you know, discover new things about yourself in a safe, private, judgment-free zone that you know, just leaves you in control of, of your own personal space leaves you in control of removing yourself immediately from the experience as soon as you feel uncomfortable and offers you different levels of, of engagement. So fascinating. So it seems like lots of cool stuff's coming up. I can talk to you about these things for hours, but I noticed we are toward the end of our time. And I bet many of our listeners want to know about how they can get the access to the content we talked about. So what are some of the good ways to get in contact with you? So I am on most social media at ELA Darling. I'm also, you can find me on, on the Vero Club Discord and forums. You can put smoke signals into the sky. I don't know. Um, just hit me up on social media. <laughs> Excellent. Um, I leave a link to the show notes in the, about the kind of like social uh, media accounts that you have. If people have questions, they want to learn more about this, they can contact you. Ella, thank you so much for coming on this show. I really appreciate that you took the time to educate us about VR porn. Thank you. Can I uh, can I do a little soft plug about about something I'm really excited about yes, right now? Yes, absolutely. So Vero Club is is the company I'm working for right now, and I'm really excited about what they're doing. It's a CGI experience where you can try different. There's there's a, a an experience where it's you know your first time exploring as as a male person romantic and sexual experiences with with another male person. There's the, there's just a variety of really cool experiences. It's all very authentic. It's all very focused on consent. And what we're doing right now is we're running an Indiegogo to not only expand those experiences but to build a social a social sexual space like I was talking about, which I really think is going to be a very important part of the future of intimate and adult VR. So if you're interested at all, if you like the things I've said, please check out Vero.club, V-I-R-O.club, and check out our Indiegogo because I really want to make this happen. I really want to get this out into the world. I think it's going to be really good for a lot of people. 
Thank you for sharing that with us. This, this is fascinating. I'll, I'll put my, all my stuff, go, go ahead and <laughs> check it out. But it seems like it's targeted toward male who are interested in male sexual experiences. No, it's targeted at, at everybody. That's just the one that, that's the latest one that I've tried out. And I was so engaged by it that I was just really excited. But there are experiences for women, there are experiences for men, there are experiences for, you know, different kinds of, of fetishes and niche interests. And as the platform grows, there's going to be more and more kinds of content. The goal is to target everybody, make it an inclusive, safe space for everybody to explore themselves and eventually engage with other people who are also just trying to explore their own identities and desires. Excellent. So I'll make sure that we include that link also in the show notes. And thank you so much again. It was lovely to talk to you. Thank you. You're a delight. I hope you found the information helpful and it gave you good information about VR porn. And if you're interested, what are some of the technology that you need to acquire and uh, what does it look like for someone to work in this industry? This is certainly I haven't tried. And I was talking to Ella after this show because I'm a curious person and I want to kind of explore everything. And she was telling me that there are certain level of a technology that you need to have, a specific kind of computer and all of that, which makes it not accessible to all of us. So hopefully one day it becomes more, become more accessible for everyone. And I would be curious to hear your thoughts about VR porn, if you're using it or not, what have been your experience and if you're okay, if you're discovering your partner is using it, because I think this is such a new and interesting development in the field of sexuality. You can send me your emails and your thoughts to Dr. Moali at sexologypodcast.com. Thank you so much for listening to this show. Don't forget to subscribe and write us a review. Your opinion matters to me. It helps us to rank higher in iTunes and I'm very appreciative of every single one of you guys who are showing up for uh, to listen to this show every week. I love you guys and I'll talk to you soon. Thanks for listening to Sexology Podcast. For more great content, visit www.sexologypodcast.com. Please be advised that information presented on this podcast is not a substitute for seeking help from a licensed mental health provider.